from Wakefield. It's the Nolan Car Night Show, inviting you to join Nolan and his guest this week, Jonathan Sanford, to the show. And now, ladies and gentlemen, here's Nolan. And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to yet another edition of the show. And I'm so grateful to be back for yet another program this week. And I hope you enjoyed last week's episode and the last part, uh, parts one and two, I should say, because they certainly were a treat talking to uh, Andrew himself. That being said, if you enjoyed the episodes, because who the hell went in down the line when this really bro- blows up like Joe Rogan or something of that nature, you're going to say, oh my gosh, you should, should have subscribed, so do all that fun jazz. It certainly helps the algorithm, as they tell you to say, for this sort of operation. Nevertheless, on to this week's edition. Although it may not be game time, it is show time, which means another brand new episode for a new week, and that means another exceptional guest. This week, by the way of the Yellowhammer State and up Interstate 10 to the Bayou City, this generation's Pepper Simmons, Jonathan Sanford, wow. a.k.a. the voice of the Houston Rockets, humbly graces us with his presence this week. Mr. Sanford, we thank you for joining us today. Well, first of all, if you compare me whatsoever to Pepper Simmons, uh, I feel pretty doggone good about that introduction. I appreciate that. Well, of course, why not? Someone who uh, is one of the catalysts to help provide uh, top tier entertainment with my with my favorite team is always uh, someone who deserves the utmost uh, professionalism and uh, outright best intro. Uh, speaking of of my favorite team, the Rockets, who you worked for, and I recently talked to a few months ago, I talked to someone who you might have worked for. Yeah, you probably had worked with and know Bill Schoening over at the San Antonio yeah. Spurs, and you know he's been doing this for for many decades, uh, similar as yourself been doing for a while. And I talked to him about how he's dealt with the last few years, professionally speaking. And I know you sort of came back into the fold of, of PA announcing in 2021 with the Rockets. So for you now to sort of experience the tail end of it all professionally, what's it been like to now go into another season post all of that and you're back, back uh, in the saddle in front of everybody? Well, you know, for me, it, it's been such a, uh, an incredible experience to go from, from San Antonio there and working with guys like Bill Schoening to uh, coming over here to Houston, and and you know Matt Thomas and I, uh, we became familiar with each other during his time when he was the PA here for the Houston Rockets, but the um, play-by-play guy on the radio uh, for the Rockets. And anytime they visit San Antonio, it had an opportunity to visit with him. But you know, sometimes life takes you on a journey that you just never expect. You yeah. you don't ever dream that you'll end up uh, doing certain things in life. Now. Doing PA in the NBA was a, a childhood dream. It started out when I was very, very young. But the idea that, you know, when I was in San Antonio, that, that one day I'd be sitting in Houston at that very uh, unique table there on the sidelines of, of the Toyota Center uh, just didn't seem like even remotely something that would happen. It just, for NBA PA announcers, you're lucky if you get one opportunity uh in in this world and in that brotherhood and so for me to end up here in houston has been really a dream come true in in a multi-faceted way well i know it started all the the way back to that 1993 uh playoff series in terms of p announcing with the uh, supersonics and the uh suns if i'm not mistaken and you there's another scenario where you brought a television screen to a camping trip which we'll get to momentarily I want to mention, and this is the last aspect of the first question I just asked, but during this time, hopefully it's given us all an opportunity to reflect on ourselves, the things we didn't know prior about oneself, which is kind of redundant me asking the way I did. But for you, 
What's one thing Jonathan Sanford learned about himself during the last three years that he didn't know prior? That I was capable of getting back to the level that I had been able to achieve in San Antonio and even grow beyond that. I, you know, when you are in a franchise like the Spurs and you, you, you're part of an NBA championship and you have those opportunities to call such great series that, that I was um, fortunate to do, uh, and then you walk away, you think, well, will I ever get back to that level personally and professionally? Will I ever feel like I am at that level again? And really that first season for me here in Houston, I didn't really feel like I had gotten there yet. I, I felt like I was still not quite myself. But, but last year, uh, I really started to feel like, hey, not only did I get back to where I was, but I started to see ways that I was even better than I was in San Antonio, which for me, that's what I wanted. I didn't want Houston to get the subpar version of Jonathan sure. Sanford. I wanted them to get the very best uh, version of Jonathan Sanford, even better than, than what I was able to give the folks in San Antonio. Because personally and professionally, that's what you want to be. You always want to grow. You always want to stretch your abilities. And, and never do you just want to rest on what you did two seasons ago or three seasons ago. You want to be the very best version of yourself as an announcer every year, like coming in this season. That's my goal. I want to be yeah. even better than I was last season. And, and so I, I have that drive, and I'm going to continue to have that drive. And, and I think the only thing that surprised me, like I said, was that at some point last season I went, you know, it's it's really here, and it's really happening, and I'm really finding myself uh, in, a, in a way I didn't think was possible anymore. Well, and certainly this upcoming season compared to the last few years is certainly an impactful season that's going to hold a lot of value for all those across the board that work within and next to the organization, as you very well know, particularly speaking of this past offseason. I want to go back as far back in the time as we can, all the way back to Jasper, Alabama, where where young Jonathan got his start. And it's well known, you mentioned other interviews, of course, and if no one knows it, it's sort of shocking in terms of world geography or local geography that in Alabama, of course, there's no professional teams, no NBA, no, no baseball, no football, but of course it's college stuff. So for you to have this dream of being a PA announcer, like the guys who, who worked for uh, the Chicago Bulls, I just mentioned Mr. Simmons. How do you remember finding that dream? And was that something of a shock for you, seeing as there was no professional local stuff to, to look up to? Well, really, the, the only connection that I had with PA announcers as a little child, uh, maybe five, six years old, was going to Legion Field in Birmingham yeah. uh, and watching uh, the Iron Bowl, Alabama versus Auburn, and, and hearing the PA guy there in Legion Field and thinking, oh, that's kind of cool. Uh, that was my first real moment that consciously I heard this voice and thought that really is a difference maker and the atmosphere of a game. But then through the years, once the NBA for me really became more of a thing in my life was – during that run of the uh, of the late 80s and the early 90s and then the Jordan era. And really when NBC came along and NBC started showing the, the finals and you had Ray Clay, uh, the announcer for the Chicago Bulls, and you had NBC actually showing the player introductions and, and Chicago put a lot of work into making that production something special and, and, and Ray's voice just, you know, set a, a memory for many announcers. I'm not the only guy that says, hey, he uh, is somebody who inspired me. There's so many PA guys around the league today that would tell you the same thing. But there was just something about that time period that 
he and the Chicago Bulls kind of made me think of it as something completely different than my mind had ever imagined it to be. And it was in 97 that I was like, hey, I can't wait any longer. I want to find a way to get involved in this in some way. And really, the only way you can start in this business is to start at the very bottom yeah. and start to grind and start to get as many opportunities as you can. And for me, you know, being in Alabama, thinking, eh, well, the ceiling would be being the voice of the Alabama Crimson Tide. Hey, I would have been perfectly fine with that, but there would always have been a part of me that would have been like, man, what would it have been like to, to be a, a, a courtside at the scoring table with that mic in front of me with 18,000 people yeah. uh, reacting intimately to the calls? There would always have been that part of me. And the good news is I married a Texan <laughs> and Marion Texan got me here to Texas. As I like to tell people, I got here as quick as I could. Uh, no disrespect to my home state of Alabama. I love them. But the opportunities here um, are, are far greater than any opportunity I was going to have in terms of the uh, ability to be a part of the NBA. And even though we moved here, still it seemed like such a far-fetched dream. I would, yeah. uh, When we first moved to Houston in 2003 and I was announcing in the area, people would hear me and they go, well, why aren't you announcing for the Astros or – the Texans or the the Rockets, and and I would just say, man, I I really don't know how to how to yeah. get an opportunity with that. I I'm just kind of um, uh, isolated from that, and I loved what I was doing, and it was enjoyable to give back a lot of high school stuff, and uh, it was great to give back to the kids and to enjoy you know those moments with them on Friday nights or during basketball season, but it just seems still like a far fetched reality right. for me, so. Uh, going all the way back to Alabama, that was kind of the deal. Like uh, it, it didn't, even though it was a dream and even though it was a passion, I wasn't quite sure if, if really it was in the cards for me. I, rem I remember reading that or listening to an interview you had done where you talked about you got experience doing some announcing in high school compared to, you know, that aspect. And then once you started doing it professionally for these high school teams in Houston and, and Texas, how did you remember handling that process of, preparing for the event, psyching yourself up, getting ready for it, and then looking years down the road of now, how you're experiencing it as a professional? Yeah, I think that's a great question because uh, for me, it, it didn't matter if there were 50 people in the in the uh, gym or 5,000 or 15,000. I always approached the preparation exactly the same. And, and to be quite honest with you, I think that's what made a difference when it came to finally getting in front of some people who actually were decision makers uh, that had some control over who was going to be their announcer for their NBA team was the fact that it didn't matter to me uh, whether it was a tiny gym in Liberty, Texas uh, with, you know, maybe 150 people in it or uh, an arena five times that size. It didn't matter to me because I was always going to approach the preparation to an absolute T, every I dotted, every T cross, every name as best as you can understood and know how to pronounce it and give it just the right inflection and and making that connection with the fans, whether it's 50 or 100 or, or 15,000, uh, I was always very calculated on trying to figure out how was the best way to reach that particular group of fans, whether it's your home fans or even the, the away fans. There's some gamesmanship yeah. in that that you certainly think about. and. You always want to keep it respectful, but 
for me, it was all about going into each situation with the same mindset. Again, whether it's a, a small arena or, or a large arena. Well, I, I want to mention that the, the size of the crowd, the size of the the uh, performance that you, that you're um, working towards, and a lot of the sports and news media members in my area in New England that I've spoken to, you know, you can't always start off big time. Now, of course, if you get that, you, you're sure as heck lucky and very fortunate to get right. to that position. But most start small. I had a guy on a few weeks ago that I sort of know who got a start up in Bangor, Maine, a small market as a sportscaster, yeah. and now he's you know, the sports director at our, one of the local stations here in Rhode Island where I live. And for you, how accustomed or how ready were you for that in terms of starting out small and doing as many gigs as you can regardless of the size? Was that something that you were acceptant of or was that something that you learned to appreciate as you went down that road before San Antonio? So I'll, I'll, I'll put it to you like this. I thought I was ready. Um, I really thought I was ready after all those years of, of, of announcing in front of regardless of different size crowds. In my mind, I was so self-convinced that I could sit down at that scoring table in front of uh, 18,500 people and, and do just as confident of a job there as, as I did in front of, you know, the smaller crowds. But the reality is the moment is, is so much bigger and, and it, it was a humbling experience for me that first season in San Antonio. You know, I I kind of approached that first season in San Antonio like, hey, let me just kind of fly under the radar here for a little bit. Let me uh, the the previous guy had a great reputation, everybody loved him, so let me just come in here and not grab a lot of attention too quickly. And then as that season went on, I began to add my taste and and feel to things. And by the third quarter of the season, then finally it was like, hey. Uh, the speed of the game, not a problem. Yeah. The atmosphere, not a problem. And confidence was certainly something that, that wasn't a problem at that point where I felt like, hey, I can kind of put my own stamp on things and not have to worry too much. And for me, I, I think that was part of the Spurs mentality a sure. little bit. And, and, and so that fit me very well at that point in my life that I had not been given that opportunity before. I was a no-name in terms of the NBA PA announcing, you know, uh, community so coming in there and 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 that particular team and that organization the way they view things i think was a pretty good fit for me because again i didn't come in right away like hey look at me everybody uh it was just kind of like hey let me get in here and and hopefully get some respect built between myself and, and this organization and then when it's time to turn it on and and show what we can do uh then you know that that moment was not going to be too big for me this may be a redundant question, so apologies in advance. You, you kind of just mentioned how you thought you were ready right away for the big time in the NBA, but I'm interested if there was ever a moment for you, because I've asked this to others as well in the media industry, where they join these small markets and they get tested and they, it's, they straddle the area of, do I want to do this? Is this for me? Or this is for me. I don't care. I'll throw me into the fire. For you, was there a moment that you remember it tested you early on in your career that made you almost regret going that way? Or was it a moment where it was sort of a smooth sail ever since where you're enjoying the ride and you will take on any opportunity? So uh, in my interview process, um, one of the guys that, that I was interviewing with the Spurs, I think that was his concern that, hey, um, you haven't had this experience. Are you going to come in here and it's going to get to you and it's going to be too hard for you? Is it going to be too much of a mountain to climb for you? 
but in my mind, like I said, I, I was self-confident enough to know that whatever was thrown my way, I would find a way to to handle it in that moment. And and there were certainly some times early in that season in San Antonio where I, I was tested. And thankfully, without going into too many details, there was one individual there in the San Antonio Spurs organization that kind of had his finger on a lot of what I did and a lot of what other people did within uh, a game night experience. And from what I was told, like he didn't have a, a lot of nice things to say about other people from time to time. And I'll never get in that first uh, quarter of the season at halftime, him walking down and, and leaning over the scoring table and saying something positive. And, and the guy that was beside me, he was like, wow, that, that never happens. Uh, congratulations. And, and so that really helped. I mean, sure. you know, uh, because it, 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 it let me know that, Hey, at least I'm not drowning here. Yeah. Um, I, I have my head above water and, and I'm making progress, which for me was, you know, a big transition when you go from high school and junior college, some college uh, ball to, uh, you know, that big, you know, arena. Well, it's always good to be on the good side of someone who's very critical of people's work. Cause if not, <laughs> then you're going to be gone uh, as soon as possible. In listening to interviews, I, I've marveled or I marveled at the fact uh, of, of your progression and the track you went through to get to the Spurs and the and the Rockets. And it was almost a pinball machine type of thing where one thing led to the next, this led yeah. to that. Jalen Hurts' father somehow was in the equation of one of those teams. And I don't know if it was the Spurs or, or the Rockets that led from working as the PA announcer for Jalen Hurts' father's football team. And so no, I'll describe the uh... process. So I uh, moved to Channel View, Texas in 2003, and Avrion Hurts, who's Jalen's uh, father, uh, Avrion's the coach there at Channel View High School, and I got linked up with him. They needed a PA announcer for their high school football team, uh, and the uh, Jalen Hurts was just a little kid at that point in time. Mm -hmm. I never would have dreamed at that moment seeing him uh, as a little kid playing on the sidelines that he would end up being, you know, who he is today, right? Playing yeah. in a Super Bowl last year. Um, but having that first connection, that was the first person, Avion Hurts, here in the state of Texas, was the first person here in this state that said, hey, come on, let's do something together. Yeah. And so I always look back, you know, positive uh, in terms of that time there I had, you know, with Channel View High School and uh, announcing there for them. And it didn't lead right away to anything, you know, big time, but it was just that experience uh, in the state of Texas. The first time anybody in the state of Texas said, hey, you sound pretty good. Let's let's give you a, a shot. So for me, that'll always be a positive thing as I look back on it. And then how early, how soon after that did the independent school district PA announce stuff for the, and then the softball thing, uh, championships as well? How soon after was, was that stuff? So I, I kept announcing high school ball all over Houston, um, whether it was in Channel View or up in um, uh, Tom Ball and Magnolia, Magnolia West High School, which was a brand new high school back in, in that period around 2007. And then we ended up living over in Liberty, Texas, and, and Liberty's a tiny town. I mean, really like a one red light kind of place. Uh, but, you know, the Liberty Panthers, the football, basketball, baseball, softball, I was announcing all of it while we were there. And my wife grew up in Austin, Texas, and in 2011, she got a job offer there in, in, in Austin teaching. She's a music teacher and uh, plays the oboe, if you know what the oboe is. And, uh, you know, all those years, 
um, wherever I went, she never rebuffed. She never was like, Hey, I wanted to stay here. Wherever, wherever I got a job opportunity, um, she was always very giving and gracious yeah. about it and would, uh, follow me. And when she got that offer, it was about the time here, give you a little background. You remember the, the show Friday night lights? Yeah. It was toward the end of the run of Friday night lights. And <laughs> there was the scenes there at the end where coach Taylor's wife gets a job offer in Pennsylvania, which is going to take him away from Texas high school football. But in the end, he finally, it's like, you know what? It's time you followed me. It's my time to give back to you. And we, it was amazing that we were kind of going to that same situation. Yeah. So we ended up moving to Austin. Uh, and that's how I ended up in Austin getting connected with the UIL. That is the University uh, Interscholastic League, which you know governs all high school sports and fine arts here in the state of Texas. So it was through them and through Austin Independent School District that uh, my voice started being heard in and around the Austin area. And that was in late 2011 to early 2012 uh by mid 2012 though uh my voice had all had gotten heard by folks from the spurs which yeah. it's a long story i won't uh share it all here people have there's been other you know interviews that have gone into detail but the right people uh were able to hear me at the right time and say hey you need to apply for this job and uh, i did and, and was fortunate enough to get my foot in the door with the spurs and then uh, 2013 was my first uh, full season with them. I spent a year in the D League, uh, as it was known back then. Now yeah. it's known as the G League. Um, and then 2013, 2014 was my first full season there in San Antonio. I went to an NBA Finals that year, won the uh, NBA Finals uh, uh, alongside the team. I didn't win anything, but, uh, you know, deal announcing. Yeah, And so that was kind of a, a, a short version of sure. a very, like you say, a pinball situation because there were moments in there where no way is this happening. You know, yeah. it just seemed so, so crazy that it happened so quickly. And I'm sure for yourself, although you always hope to be recognized or someone, you know, sees your talent, but a moment where, you know, one person is like, oh, listen to this, listen to this guy's performance and then goes to this thing and the next thing and that thing. And that was another interesting point, how you got the Spurs job, because somebody was going for it and had it, and then you suddenly yeah. find out that, oh, this person no longer, is, it's not set in stone yet, you apply for the position, and you're getting it, and most people dream of calling an NBA Finals. You, in, in your first full season with the team, called the historic 13-14 NBA Finals season 10 years ago this year. And for you, I'm sure to be fir your first season doing this was like, how the hell did I get in this scenario? So for so, you, ex no, yeah, yeah, go for it. A little detail that I maybe haven't told before. It's hard to remember, but so when they, when they sent me down or sent me up to the, um, the D league there in Austin, the Austin Spurs, they were known then as the Austin Toros. Um, we went to the, to the uh, D league finals that year. Uh, playing against the Santa Cruz Warriors. Now, um, as well, because the Spurs are in the playoffs, um, the Spurs had asked me to come down. Um, it was in the series against Golden State. Um, They're in the uh, playoffs that year in the 2012-2013 um, playoff run. Uh, Barry Tom, who, as you mentioned, was the guy that um, – had been kind of the shoe in for the Spurs job yeah. all along and um, eventually, you know, had it that season. 
uh, they asked me to come down and be ready to jump behind the mic. I mean, can you imagine this? Like he was not feeling well and was losing his voice. And they call me up and say, Hey, we want you to be at these playoff games just in case. And so like I'm sitting there uh, awaiting that it's possible that any moment during these games, I could get pressed into service, which that would have been, that would have been crazy. Yeah. I mean, that, uh, I don't know if, you know, talk about a moment being too big for you. I don't know if it would have been or not, but just looking back on it now, it seems like it would have been. Um, but I was there and and I was ready to go as, as much as I could be under that circumstance. Um, but I, I never, I don't think I've ever shared that with anybody uh, in any of these interviews before, but that was something that was kind of cool and kind of chaotic at the same yeah. time. Right. But because uh, here I was, you know, just finished up the, the, the D league season and, and had a good, you know, run there and a lot of good experience within the organization and getting to know the folks and uh, like RC Buford would come up to those games uh, up in um, at the uh, Cedar Park Center there in Austin and got to know him. In fact, one night uh, we had a young lady who was scheduled to sing the national anthem and something happened with her and all of a sudden she wasn't going to be singing. And so uh, they were like, who can sing it? And here I have a mic in my hand. And so I end up singing the national <laughs> anthem. It's on the broadcast and everything. And, um, finished up at halftime. I was like walking in the back and, uh, RC Buford came, came up to me. He goes, man, you can do everything. Can't you? <laughs> I said, well, you can do most anything when you're, when you, uh, you're pressed into service. Right. And sure. so that was kind of a cool experience to get to meet him and, and work with him a little bit up there. And I think that kind of helped me in that next season, you know, because, it wasn't like I was put in that seat and had zero experience sure. with an NBA atmosphere. Uh, you know, G League, D League is not quite the same, but at least it was kind of that 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 upward uh, growth for me. I think. Now, uh, although that the team, the Spurs, of course, Greg Popovich had been there for years, so that 2013-14 season, as well as the big three for that program, along with maybe a few other key players as well. That helps a lot when you have three players sharing the ball, like uh, those three that they were there with Greg Popovich on top of the squad. At what point, though, in that season, your first time, your first full season with the team, could you tell that this season could be magical in terms of a postseason appearance? I don't know the exact date, but there was a regular season, the second regular season matchup between uh, the Spurs and the Miami Heat. Early season. Uh, there was a matchup between the Spurs and the Heat on the road in Miami that the Spurs got beat in. Um, but then around, I, I hope I'm not wrong here, but I believe it was in March of 2014, we had the second regular season matchup with Miami. And it was, I believe it was on ESPN. And the Spurs came out that night and looked like a completely different team. Sure. Like they were clicking on all cylinders that night. And when that game was over, I, I looked at um, Daniel Casados, who was with me at the table at the time, and I said, that's a good sign. Like, it was at that moment where I kind of knew there's something big happening sure. here because there had been doubts. I mean, the end of that 2012, 2013, uh, the the way the, the finals ended there and, and kind of Manu's performance, people were kind of questioning him. Does he have it anymore? You know, what's going to happen with him? And, so there was there were some doubts from yeah. the external. I don't think those Spurs ever doubted their, their ability yeah. to get back there. I don't think internally they ever doubted themselves. I think there were some questions by people outside, 
Uh, but it was at that moment that night where it was like, there are no more questions. This group of guys is as motivated to to get back to that and, and right the wrongs of the previous uh, sure. finals as anybody has I've ever seen. Uh, and that was kind of the moment. How Now, we all know how much Greg Popovich is beloved in, in nationally, not just in terms of the NBA and basketball fans, but nationally as well is, is, is public speaking in terms of what he believes and all that stuff but also how prestigious he is as a coach and holding his players and team accountable, the long stretch they had of playoff appearances. With the level of, of professionalism that he carries his team within himself and how they operate as a core, how much of seeing that from your perspective as the PA announcer did you try to carry within your performance as an announcer, but also not just that season when you started, but throughout your career? Well, I, I have a great deal of respect and and love for for coach greg popovich i um i knew coming into that situation that coach popovich's finger is on everything uh within that organization and even what i did behind the mic um there was kind of the mentality i did not want to grab his attention too soon i did not want to the first game him go who is that nut job down there on Mm -hmm. the mic you know i I, I wanted not to grab his attention, um, but there was there were a couple of occasions where uh, he made some statements to me or passed a statement to me about something he wanted done differently. And hey, the way I looked at it is, I, I watched him from time to time chew out Tim Duncan. Yeah, like, and listen, if he's gonna chew out Tim Duncan, uh, and Tim lets it roll off his back and goes out and performs at the level uh, he was capable of doing. Then for myself, it was kind of like, hey, uh, just let it roll, you know, Um, learn from it and grow from it. Don't let it get you down and uh, and it'll make you better. And I think it did. I I look back on some of those situations and I realized uh, he knows what he's talking about. Sure. Yeah. Now, as I mentioned, you you can't always predict everything. One season's not going to be similar to the next. You could win a championship the next year. You can miss out. Players can retire, get injured for the rest of their career. How much of an eye opener was the end of that season when they won the title to then next season the sense of things could not be the same? Well, you know, that offseason, there was a lot of questions. It was uh, the first question that seemed to happen quite frequently after each season is, is this Tim's last year, right? Is Tim Duncan coming back? And that question was answered pretty soon after the 13 14 uh, finals and the championship that he was coming back. And, and Almost everybody on that team was back, except for I believe the exception was Marco Bellinelli. I don't know if you remember that name yeah. or not, but um, so many of the players are back for that next season. The thought was really in, in a lot of people's minds that hey, the Spurs could just keep this train going right down yeah. the tracks. And that season was going really well. Uh, it was not until that last week of the regular season when. We ended up dropping to third uh, in the conference um, standings because uh, we lost a couple. I think we lost that last game in New Orleans, and it dropped us to third. And so we ended up playing the Clippers in the first round uh, of the the playoffs there in the in the um, fourteen uh, fifteen playoffs. Uh, and we we come into that uh, series against the Clippers, and Chris Paul was just on a mission. That's all yeah. I can say. I mean. Um, and we end up losing that series against the Clippers. We lost in the first round of the playoffs. Yeah. And it and it 
I remember looking around at everybody after that and thinking, we just didn't expect this. The way the team had yeah. performed all year, um, we didn't expect them to go out like that. And so there was a lot of us just kind of looking at each other and, and stunned um, thought because we, we thought we'd be continuing going on as deep of a run as we had had the, the previous season because everybody was back and everybody seemed properly motivated. But, you know, the way the NBA works is, um, especially in these playoff series, a, a team can have your number and a yeah. lot of matchups can come into play and things can go in a way that you just never expect. And that was the case that series, that series with, uh, with um, the Clippers. Well, even look, you look with the Clippers, the team, they, they are, or they were when Chris Paul and Blake Griffin and DeAndre Jordan were on top of their game. Great teams, perennial playoff uh, teams, but can never get into the finals, can never get past yeah. the Western Conference finals. And it's always a any given Sunday scenario where things could change. After that, the next season and two, it started to change in terms of the, the, the look of the team. Tim Duncan eventually yes. retires. Tony Parker leaves. Uh, Manu Ginobili retires. Boris Dale leaves, so on and so forth. With that, coupled with you know someone like Kawhi coming to the team, how much of the moves like that within the organization affect your performance as the announcer, or is it just another day in office with a different look to the team? So after that 14-15 season, the 15-16 season was like crazy. I mean, it was amazing. We were 40-1 and one at home. Yeah. Only lost one home game that entire season. Tied the Chicago Bulls for the, at that time, the uh, I know Golden State has bypassed that since then, but at yeah. that point in time, we tied the Chicago Bulls for the most home wins in a season, and they had brought on Lamarcus Aldridge that year, uh, and so it really felt like, all right, the LA series was kind of an aberration, but now, boom, here we go, and the, uh, you know, number one seed humming right along, everything is great, forty and one at home. And we got in that series with Oklahoma City. And, and again, at the end of that series, you were going, what happened, right? Yeah. Um, and then the next season, the 16-17 season, if you remember, uh, we get all the way to the Western Conference Finals and just run into a buzzsaw in Golden State. And yeah. why gets hurt that season, right? And then uh, the next season, which was my final season, the 17-18 uh, season, that's when you really started feeling like uh, – you know, there's some momentum that's slipping. You you yeah. had the the injury to Kawhi Leonard, and uh, man, only played a, a handful of games all year. Uh, there was that kind of controversy with him throughout that season, and um, it was just not the the typical feeling of the Spurs uh, for what they had been for the previous you know several years. But to answer your question, there was no change at all in terms uh -huh. of my approach. Like I. I approached each game just like I had done sure. uh, when we were getting ready to uh, be in the in the NBA Finals, and um, it didn't change. No matter what the the struggle of the team may have been, uh, my job was going to be to give each game the best atmosphere as possible, and to send those fans home with a memory, sure. something they could uh, positively remember, whether it's a win or a loss. So that that mentality was not going to change just because, you know, that final season things weren't quite at the Spurs level they had been in, in the previous years. Do you ever put your ring on from the Spurs championship winner, or is that uh, cased away somewhere in Carbonite? Uh, it, it's cased away. Um, the, I wore that championship ring for the last time 
my last game in San Antonio against Golden State in that 17-18 uh, uh, game four, we actually won that game. It was the the last game uh, played at home of that series. They lost in game five to end the series in Golden State advance. But I, I wore that ring that day. Did not know it was going to be my last game. We had been contemplating my future and what I was going to, what we were going to do as a family. But um, that is the last time I, I wore that ring. I'm not going to wear it in Houston. I guarantee no, I'm not yeah. going to go up to the to the Toyota Center wearing a Spurs championship yeah. ring. Uh, it, it's it's hidden away and. I'm grateful to have it. It'll be passed down to, you know, uh, my kids and hopefully their kids and their kids' kids one day. And maybe they'll ask the question, well, what's this all about? Yeah. And maybe they'll, they'll, they'll learn the story. I hope so. Eventually.